This is Comic Shenanigans, episode 91, Comic Reviews for the week of Wednesday, June 26th. Welcome to Comic Shenanigans, this is episode 91, this is Adam Chapman, your host, and today we're looking at comic reviews for the week of Wednesday, June 26th. First of all, I wanted to say a little bit of an apology, uh, this episode's going up a lot later than normal, uh, usually this uh, reviews episode is going up between Sundays and Mondays, uh, this week for a few different reasons it ended up getting postponed. Uh, part of that is that it was uh, Canada Day here in Canada, which is uh, basically celebrating Confederation or the the official beginning of Canada as a country. Uh, it's the 146th birthday for Canada, uh, so I'm actually recording this just as it beca- at, at the very end of Canada Day. It's just about to become July 2nd. Uh, actually, as I speak, it just turned into midnight, uh, and so now it is now July 2nd, so no more Canada Day. Anyways, that was part of the reason why the uh, episode didn't go up earlier. Also, I had hoped originally that this would be an episode where I would be uh, doing co- reviews with uh, the, la- the guest from, I think, two episodes ago, which was uh, Age of Butters on HC Realms, otherwise known as AJ Reese. Uh, we actually recorded about an hour and a half worth of conversation talking about eight different comics that came out this past week. Uh, that was on uh, Sunday, June 30th. Unfortunately, um, still working out some of the kinks with the software. Uh, obviously, the, the last time that we did an episode together, which I think was episode eighty-seven, um, we had, there was a, a bit of an issue with the dialogue. That the recorder I was using was kind of overlapping. There was a, a delay in recording stuff that AJ was saying, and then mine was going normal time. And when he had this constant delay on his end. Uh, it ended up making this weird kind of, you got used to the rhythm after a while, but really it was this weird uh, episode where there was a lot of overlap between our conversations, and it wasn't because we were originally talking over each other, it was just the way that uh, the streams ended up being recorded. So I tried something new. Now, if anyone out there has done a podcast before or is able to record over Skype and has had no issues with uh, overlaps on, in terms of the actual recording, etc., can you please maybe uh, send me an email at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. I'm still new to the whole recording Skype and working. Uh, the program I use for the podcast is called Audacity, and then I've been, I was trying the uh, Malto call recorder uh, for Skype, and obviously it didn't quite work because uh, yesterday we did something where, and this is a little behind <laughs> behind the scenes that you're not really interested in, them, but we were trying to record a stream, and the way that I was doing it is I was trying to record my stream using my Audacity program, and then uh, for the call recorder, just picking up the incoming uh, stream from AJ. Uh, unfortunately, at the end, it was the weirdest thing. I had about an hour and 28 minutes on the Audacity program, but only about 58 minutes or so showing on the uh, Amalto call recorder. So originally, I was just planning on taking the stream, dragging it into Audacity, and then uh, adjusting it enough that even though there would have been a delay in it recording it or bringing it in, at least we could I could you know uh, line it up and that would work. Unfortunately, instead it was like every twenty seconds it was it was falling out of sync and there was parts of it that it would just stop. It was almost as if it just stopped recording or it. Uh, and this is something I noticed in two episodes ago. There was some dialogue where it would suddenly quickly speed up and it felt like if it did it enough, you would shave twenty minutes off the episode. And so actually trying to go in and adjust it every like thirty seconds and trying to cut cut the dialogue anyways using audacity was a lot more difficult and time consuming to try and do that and i had kind of had to say you know ultimately i don't think this is going to work so unfortunately that's uh an hour and a half that's on the cutting room floor uh it was good <laughs> i'll just say that it was a good conversation uh aj was a really good sport about 
Uh, first of all, unfortunately not being able to actually use that uh, material, but also we had some really good discussion. Uh, before I actually get into reviews, I also want to say that uh, before we actually podcasted together, AJ and I were discussing you know, just the way I've been doing reviews in the past. He brought up a really good point, which I hadn't really considered, is that you know when I had said in the past about certain books I hadn't really appreciated all that much, and I would give them relatively negative reviews, and then they'd still end up at about a 5 or a 6, and it was, I was kind of getting stuck. Uh, in terms of varying the actual the uh, ratings, and I don't know what that was, and I, I, I was talking to him about it, and I said, you know, for years, I think for about five or six years, I used to write for a, a website called ComicStream.com, uh, later renamed CX Pulp, and I haven't really written anything for them for over two years, as I've been doing a little bit in print with CGMagazine.ca. Um, and in their printed versions. But anyway, when I used to do uh, reviews for uh, ComicStream, uh, they used to break things down into three categories. Well, mainly two, but you'd have story out of five, art out of five, and then an overall out of five. Now, I would always use as a rule of thumb, I would say, you know, three and a half for story, for example, maybe two and a half for art. I would add those together. You get six divided by two, that's a three out of five. Anyways, I realized, why haven't I been adhering to this old you know, method that I used to do for my reviews in this you know, on Comic Shenanigans? And I really didn't have a good reason for it. So I do have to thank AJ for his uh, helpful um, constructive criticism. And just, not even criticism, it's just more like an observation that made me kind of realize, well, maybe I should adjust the way I've been doing things. So this is the first week where I'm going to say it's more like a Comic Shenanigans review show revamped in terms of the actual way I've been ranking and rating things, and hopefully going forward, that it will be, uh, it will feel a little bit more, not natural, well, a little bit more accurate in terms of things I don't like are actually going to be written down. I think before, I didn't have a hard and fast rule. It was almost, unfortunately, I almost shouldn't have been doing ratings in some ways. Like, if you listen to my reviews, that was really what you should take from the app, and then the rating didn't always fit, and I didn't really notice this, and I apologize that I, I mean, I've done a lot of these episodes so far. I mean, I think about um, what, 46 reviews episodes, and it's now that I'm really realizing that maybe I've been, I haven't been doing the best job at, at figuring out the ratings. So, anyways, this is the needless six minutes. I do apologize. There's a lot of books I'm going to be talking about this week. I don't. I have limited time to actually do it, so we're going to be doing a little bit of a lightning round. I always say that, and then I take too long anyway. But I'm actually going to try and adhere to that this time around. So the uh, alphabetically, the first book I'm going to be looking at this week is uh, Age of Ultron uh, AI, and this is I don't this is something that Marvel loves to do is they love to do addendums to issues. It used to be points, um, you, and now it's just adding a new suffix. Um, for example, Fear itself had you know I think it was what I, I forget how long that miniseries was. I think it was like seven or eight issues, and he had like seven point one, point two, point three. And which is really just more ways to kind of grab money from you by tying into something that they know more people are going to buy because it's a big crossover event. So in this book, it's Age of Ultron AI. So we had AU before, now it's uh, AI instead. It's written by Mark Wade though, which is pretty good. He's a good writer, and you got Andre Lima Arau on art and Frank Darmada on color art. Um, Alright, so the art is a little strange. It didn't always work for me. I I, I like part of this because I like the idea of seeing more about Hank Pym's uh, kind of genesis, his, his, him as a character, and seeing the idea of how he, him as a scientist progressed throughout time and what led him to kind of be an Avenger. And it's, it's kind of like this is the life and times of Hank Pym, and it's interesting, and I'm interested to see where they go with this 
moving forward and how Hank Pym as a character might be changed a little. Now, that being said, I did find that there's certain things that were glossed over and not referenced at all, and that was frustrating because um, Hank Pym has, for a while now, been running Avengers Academy, and I don't really recall how that book ended, but I thought he was still kind of running it, and then Avengers Arena happened, and that kind of take, took over that slot, and you had a lot of those characters show up there, but we haven't really seen Hank Pym doing much in terms of, he, like, he was a school teacher, and a good one at that, for the most part. Um, so, this is good, launching into Avengers AI, a new book, which really could just be called The Adventures of Ant-Man, or Hank Pym, or Hank Pym and his new creations, but instead they really want to sell you on that Avengers na- name, so they're going to call it Avengers AI, hence the AI as the suffix to this book. Um, I gave it about a six. Uh, it's not the strongest issue. Part of, like, I think, I think when I broke it down, I think I was looking at about, like, Mark Way does a fairly good job in, in, in building Hank Pym as a character. It doesn't all fit as nicely as he would like it to, but he does a fairly good job of trying to put it together. I would almost say it's like a three and a half on writing, but maybe two and a half on art. The art just didn't quite jive for me. And that kind of kept me from enjoying it more fully. That being said, as much as I'm only giving it a six, um, see this is and this is kind of where it becomes weird when you do ratings and stuff. Uh, I I think it's a six, but I do think it was more interesting, uh, even though it wasn't maybe executed as well than the Age of Ultron series itself, um, which maybe had better art and at times a little bit better writing in certain aspects of it. But this was. A little bit more cohesive, and although the artwork didn't work for me at all, really, um, I, I did like the idea of the story and seeing more of Hank Pym and his creation as a character and what's behind him, kind of being the type of scientist he is. Again, it feels out of place because it does feel like it doesn't take into account him being the teacher of Avengers Academy, nor his tenure as part of the Mighty Avengers when he was the scientist supreme briefly. So I wish that there was a little bit more of that. It felt like Mark Wade doing his best to be Kurt Busiek in terms of bringing together the continuity of a character. I mean, Mark Wade can do that anyway because he's a, a very good writer. But it didn't. I, I think it, it, someone like Kurt Busiek maybe could have handled it a little bit better. Uh, it still it wasn't bad. It just it it is a six. Uh, next up is All New X Men number thirteen. Uh, continued to be a really interesting and engaging book. A little bit slower in some ways than previous issues, but still good. Uh, artwork by Stuart Immonen and uh, Wade Von Grabager on inks. Yeah, Brian Michael Bendis writing it. Um, here you you have the, you you open up with something that's cool where you have uh, Jean Grey as a phoenix and everyone's kind of freaking out about it. Uh, I like the the idea that we're seeing a confrontation with Mystique and her group a lot faster than I would have originally expected. Um, again, I do like that we see more and more of you know these these people the the younger team kind of wondering about themselves. There's also some digs at, um, uh, what's his name, uh, Rick Remender's uh, Uncanny Avengers in terms of what happened with um, Havoc and talking about what it means to be a mutant. And then Kitty Pride does something a lot more interesting where she talks about prejudice and, and that kind of stuff. And I think she does, Bendis does a better job of it than Rick Remender did. Although I, I don't think Rick Remender... I think a lot of it was overblown with Havoc. I think he was just kind of riffing on something, and then people took it a certain way, and I think Bendis just kind of jumped on that and did it as well. I do like the idea of having Jean Grey being able to come face-to-face with uh, uh, Lady Mastermind. I mean, they haven't really ever occupied the same space because Jean Grey was already dead, I believe, by the time Lady Mastermind was really a thing. Uh, Or maybe... No, I think she was dead by then, so... 
Uh, so it's interesting to kind of see uh, what this version of Mastermind will do to her. I mean, it's easy to forget, but I mean, uh, a character named Mastermind, the original, uh, was very instrumental in the downfall of Jean Grey. So seeing that played out again, but we have it be a younger version of Jean Grey, who's not at all ready for any of this type of stuff, and have it be Lady Mastermind. It's a nice little twist on a classic kind of... Uh, um, enmity between those two types of characters a character named Jean Grey and a character named Mastermind. It's interesting. Uh, I gave it an 8 out of 10. It was a solid read. Uh, it's like a 4 and 4. So uh, I, I dug it. Uh, next up is Aquaman number 21. Um, uh, this is a, a 7 out of 10. This is a book that I had originally discussed with AJ. I think I th- I I regret that I didn't write down his ratings and I should have gotten them from before, before I did this episode. Um AJ, if you actually wanted to uh, post on the thread when I put up this on HC Realms, you could just say, you know, these are my ratings for these particular books. I, I think I have a rough sense of what you said, but I don't want to put numbers in your mouth, so to speak. So if you want to just make a post saying, hey, everybody, this is what I thought of the eight books we discussed, that'd be great. Um, so Aquaman, last issue was a weird fill-in. Uh, I only say weird because it took place after part two of a storyline. I don't mind villains. I would I would wish that they don't do weird interludes that disrupt the flow of a story. Um, but I did enjoy this for the most part. I'd say it's a three and a half and a three and a half in terms of Arden's story. Jeff Johns writing it still. Paul Pelletier on artwork. Uh, Pelletier's artwork is not as solid in this issue as I think it had been in the past. It felt a little Russian to, at certain portions. Uh, some of the um, facial expressions or sort of the faces in general. Uh, Mira in particular. Uh, there is some pretty cool stuff here, though, especially by Jeff Johns. Uh, there's this double-page spread where you have Aquaman grabbing and throwing, I guess, a sub. And uh, it's a really powerful kind of moment. And you have to see the kind of the power and the majesty of the character. And then the narration says, you know, this is my birthright, this is my responsibility, and I will embrace it. And that's it does feel like we've got 21 issues to get to this kind of point where he's really embracing who he is what his heritage is, what his birthright is, uh, what his responsibilities are, and he's really embracing who that is. When we started off with him, he wasn't really sure what who he was uh, in this New 52, which was, uh, I think, appropriate, because we, the readers didn't know what to expect from him yet in, in this New 52 and how he'd be structured, and I think Jeff Jones maybe wasn't quite sure how he was going to build him up, but I do like that, that we feel like we're getting to a point where we've built up who he is as a person. We've seen how he interacts with others around him, with the others in the Justice League. You have him having to deal with uh, his brother in the during the Throne of Atlantis storyline. And now you really have him having to really accept what it means to be king and have all these responsibilities. So I really dug this, uh, at least that part of it. Um, there's a lot going on here. Jeff Johns is handling a, a myriad of different stories. I like that there's no shortage of uh, a lot of things going on. I think one thing AJ had mentioned is that at times, it, I think the colors have to be a little bit more vibrant and blue or something about it because a lot of this, the action in this issue takes place underwater and oftentimes you wouldn't quite know it. It's a little hazy in, the, in terms of how the colors are done, but... And if they, if you didn't see the little like you know bubbles where they're breathing, you wouldn't always know that this even takes place underwater, which is problematic. Um, it, but that's always going to be a problem when you have a book that's centered in water. You have to kind of, uh, I think guys like Assad Ribic or even Ariel Olivetti have a little bit different approaches to. You feel almost claustrophobic in the water when they do water issues. Like if you've ever read uh, Submariner of the Depths, that is primarily a comic book. Sorry, a, a horror comic. Um, 
Yes, obviously it's a comic book, but no, it's a horror comic. It's not really a Submariner comic at all. It's something that takes place underwater. Happens to have a character named Submariner, but it is very much, um, you know, like a what if or a different a different world that's not ours. And Namor is a strikingly scary figure, but uh, I believe it's a side river because the artwork is extremely dark and detailed, but it feels murky. It feels like it feels like you can't see uh, in the water. There, you know, that there's. It just it has this overwhelming feeling of creepiness, which works. Um, so I gave this a seven. Uh, next up is Avengers Arena number eleven. Now this did feel like we slowed things down uh, a lot. Um, last issue was a lot more fast paced. This is a lot more of a character building, not necessarily character building I needed to see, but I get why they did it. I guess you have Dennis Hopeless writing it with our work by uh, Ricardo Bertrelli. Um, so you have uh, Reptile and Hazmat have been basically hanging out on the beach, uh, and it's really awkward at first as an issue, but uh, you have a Hazmat working, acting quite different than you would ever expect, and very out of, out of character, but at least it's, it's recognized that she is acting out of character, this is strange, she's not acting like herself, etc. You have uh, the characters from last issue kind of meeting up with um, uh, Reptile and hazmat and have them kind of trying to figure out what to where to go next and how to move on from here and reptile having to have a kind of a, a tough conversation with uh with hazmat as well and dealing with you know what what, what their next step is cammy has some good stuff in here as well and i guess we're moving to the end game for the most part and to have uh hazmat really kind of saying like let's okay let's do this let's let's get moving so um, it, it's getting better for sure. I mean, it's still a good issue. Last issue, I think, was just a little bit more action oriented. This one is more character, but I was still given an eight. Uh, next up is Batman: The Dark Knight, number twenty-one. Uh, I gave this a seven out of ten. Uh, the artwork by Van Skyver has been a little bit all over the place and not even consistent throughout the entire arc because he's had to take uh, time off. Uh, Greg Hurwitz wrote it. Um, I don't know. Like I, last issue, I really enjoyed because it had a great ending with uh, a ba- uh, Batman's girlfriend dying. It was pretty like surprising and and messed up. This issue just goes on a little long. Um, the art after a while just I I like Van Skyver a lot, but this just wasn't didn't quite feel like his best. Uh, I felt almost a little rushed. Uh, the Alice in Wonderland interlude was kind of interesting. Uh, it wasn't a bad issue, but it just also felt like. There's shots of Batman where Batman almost looks like he's smiling. Then there's other shots where it looks like uh, Ethan Van Skyver is trying to have Batman kind of look like, um, uh, what's his name? Oh, Neil Adams in certain por- portions. Um, so, it, I mean, it, it is what it is. Uh, and then having kind of Batman at the end kind of confronting uh, and going back to uh, Jim Gordon was nice as well. Um, I don't know. I liked parts of it. I didn't like other parts of it. I gave it a seven. It's not a bad book. It's some of it's actually quite good and quite thrilling. Um, I don't know. I feel like the entire Mad Hatter storyline went on a little long. I don't think it was able to recapture the excitement that I had after the last issue, which I thought was like really like holy crap, things have really going down, and it was really well paced. And I felt like the pacing felt a little off in this issue and wasn't quite as strong. Uh, next up. Uh, after Batman Dark Knight is Batman Superman number one. Uh, this is another issue that AJ and I had discussed. Uh, I did not like this. I gave it a four out of ten. Um, the cover I didn't like either because it felt like uh, it was very much an afterthought that someone was like, 
hey, Jay Lee, um, it's actually the new 52 versions. He's like, shit. Because it doesn't, something about the, the detail in the costumes doesn't quite feel like, feel right. It does just feel like a regular issue. And that being said, if you take out um, the weird, I don't know, creepy, I don't even know what, what that shit is, but the weird things that they're kind of standing on, uh, it almost is reminiscent of the world's finest hero click. Um, because you have Superman flying up, and you got his cape below, and then you have Batman in front. Um, now this issue, as I said, artwork by Jay Lee and Ben Oliver. Ben Oliver does the latter half where they're on Earth 2. Uh, Greg Pak is writing it. Greg Pak is so much better than this, but not in this book. Uh, the artwork is just not... not doesn't really work for me. Uh, I like the colors. I know that AJ had preferred Ben Oliver's work, and I preferred Jay Lee's work, but... Uh, we both generally did not like the book. I think we may have given it fours each. I'm not quite sure about that. Uh, you have the first shot you see of Batman is awful because, first of all, I didn't didn't realize it was Bruce Wayne. I thought it was a, a creepy villain who was making kids fight each other. Instead, it's Bruce Wayne watching kids beat the shit out of each other while on this weird like park bench from hell or the park bench from like the inferno mini uh not miniseries crossover at marvel comics in the late like late 80s i guess um and, and there's like this messed up fucked up tree or i guess it looks like a tree but it's it's not a tree because there's like gargoyles and shit out of it so it's like a statue it's i don't know what this is this is not gotham city and you have bruce wayne being creepy as fuck and uh, and then he, Superman doesn't quite feel right either. And then again, this is young Superman, and, and he's just being a dick. And I just I don't get this. And there's these like these murders happening for uh, Wayne employees that are um, in Metropolis. And he, I, I guess the only good thing here, not the good thing, but you do have a little bit more of. And I don't know if this has been covered elsewhere up until this point, but you do see that uh, Clark's parents died in an automobile accident, so they're not around, and so you see kind of like the idea that, you know, there, there are some similarities between these characters. You have Catwoman acting very... She's dressed more like modern Catwoman, but this is obviously supposed to take place five years ago because Justice League took place five years ago, and this takes place before that because Superman's not yet wearing his armored costume. Speaking of Justice League number one, that was the first meeting of Superman and Batman, not this absolute dreck. Uh, I'm giving this a 4 out of 10, and I feel like I'm being charitable. I'm looking at it and just getting angry about it. There's a boom tube. Uh, the uh, Superman ends up in uh, in Earth 2, and he ends up again fighting against um, the Batman of Earth 2. That's another reason I care. You know this takes place in the past, because obviously Batman of Earth 2 is dead. Um, it's not explicitly mentioned that this is Earth 2, but in... In all interviews, they've said it is. Uh, it does feel like a bit of a fuck you to uh, people like James Robinson and Jeff Johns. More James Robinson, though, because he's doing such a great job with uh, Earth 2. And if you ever read, listen to the uh, Comic Vine podcast, which is a great podcast to listen to, uh, he often, he, I think once a month generally, he's on the show. And he had said for a while that him and Jeff Johns were coming up with leading up to the first big meeting between Earth 2 and Earth 1 or what is ostensibly Earth-1, anyway. It's never called that. But instead, they're basically saying, actually, Batman and Superman met the other Batman and Superman before they died on Earth-2, so that's over five years ago. But there's never been any discussion of multiple universes since then. Not only that, Batman and Superman met here, fought here, but then when they meet in Justice League, it's as if they've never met, which is bullshit. And it takes place after this. Not just because... 
it ha pretty much has to, but also because of the costumes. Anyways, this is a uh, this is basically a clusterfuck of a comic. Uh, then to try and make you feel like they haven't ripped you off with a pretty piss poor story uh, and not the greatest artwork, or at least not the most appropriate artwork or even grounded artwork that made sense for these characters at all. Like, Jay Lee is a great artist, but apparently uh, Batman is existing on the Dark the, the dark Tower world because there's like there's a weird... I, I, AJ had actually originally mentioned this. There's a panel where... Sorry, I'm going to reference AJ a lot, but we had an hour and a half conversation about eight different comics. I'm going to discuss what he said. Um, there's like a light post that's like the most and weird fucking fucked up lamppost you've ever seen. It bends and it's all weird and twisty. I don't know where, like this is not a Gotham City I would ever want to live in. Ever. Um, this is, I mean this makes, yeah, this is just weird shit. And then they've, they've gouged you for this comic, so they're like, okay, well we're going to give you uh, some, uh, you know, variant covers in here, which is kind of nice. So you have one by Kenneth Rockefort, which I do like, because I actually think his take on Batman is, in some ways, better than his Superman. I'm not a huge fan of his Superman. Whenever I pick up Superman and I flip through the first few pages, I'm like, I, I can't listen, I can't read this, and I don't know what it is. But I liked him more on Red Hood and the Outlaws. So, I mean, go figure, I have no idea why that is. And then you have uh, Guillaume March, who has done some infamous books and in artwork in the last two years, especially on Catwoman's covers, and he does a Superman cover, and it's just bad and uh, not good at all. And then you have a, a look at the next issue uh, in terms of the... Uh the un so I guess the uncolored cover for the next issue. So I gave this about a four, um, and I feel like I was being nice. Uh, next up is Captain America number eight. I did not really enjoy this either. This is a book I gave... A five and a half to so again we're getting i'm trying to show that like you know i i'm not just gonna be stuck at the six to eight stretch anymore I'm trying to show that like when things aren't good i will rate them accordingly and hopefully that'll make my uh ratings a little bit more valid or at least feel a little bit more uh understandable uh part of this is just atrocious uh i was open up the first few pages and you have the weird zola version of captain america which is just stupid, and the artwork is not good. It's very sloppy. Uh, the kid, I forget his name now, but he looks way too young and stupid. Um, like, and he's, sometimes John uh, Romita just cannot make kids look like anything, but he can either make them look too young or too old, and he, there's no middle ground. And then there's weird, there's a shield slash here where uh, Captain America slashes uh, the Zola Captain America with his shield, but I guess the way of showing motion is to just show the star moving along, and I just thought that was lazy and kind of dumb. Um, I, I just cannot wait for this storyline to be over. I'm not a big fan of, of Zola and his, his universe, and then his daughter, who's basically a, uh, uh, a character ripped from uh, Jack Kirby, anything by Jack Kirby, especially in the fourth world. That's what she looks like. Um, I just I find it very boring and dreadful and then the shit that the kid does to uh to you know he's captain america who's raised him as his son and like stabbing him in the back basically with a with a jagged edge captain america style uh, shield and then the kid gets shot and basically murdered uh because he gets falls in this acid by what we think is sharon carter i was just like what the fuck um i didn't really like this uh it had no real moments where it was that great. Um, I, I, it wasn't Batman Superman. It didn't make me that angry, but it did. It also I didn't find it that great. I don't. 
I don't know. I'm, I'm going to give it a 5. I was originally going to go a little bit higher, but I, I can't. It's not good. Uh, next up is uh, Daredevil number 27. Whew. I could use a palate cleanser after that, you know, that ass that I was just, like, that I had to live with. Um, sorry, the shit I just had to deal with. So, this is, uh, the new issue of Daredevil. It's such a good book. This is, this is the type of book you need to read after you read something that's bullshit. Uh, this is, I gave it, this issue number 27. I gave it a 10 out of 10. Uh, I just think it was absolutely perfect from beginning to end, um... It's just such a strong story. Mark Wade has done a great job of telling a 27-issue story, uh, and that never felt like it was a 27-issue story until the very end. Like there was a lot of different things going on, but it never felt like it was like, oh my god, just get to the point already. It felt like there was a lot of things that felt relatively isolated, but they weren't relatively isolated. It was all part of one big thing, and it felt earned. It felt like Mark Wade has told an opus, and now he's showed us how it was all connected all along, and it's fascinating. Um, so you have him confronting Bullseye, uh, you have a little bit, you're understanding more about what happened to Bullseye, uh, which I think is good because we're getting a little bit of that, or at least feeling like that in the current Savage Wolverine arc, which I believe comes before this, uh, or I guess it pretty much has to. Um, you have a bit more of a showdown with Ikari and, uh, and Lady Bullseye, you have uh, Bullseye basically saying, like, you know, I've got this plan to... Uh, you know, I got agents that are gonna kill you, everyone you love, and just when you think that you know that it looks like that's what's going on, um, you realize that actually uh, those those are all people that Daredevil trusts. The Daredevil has got it made. He's made sure that everyone he knows is protected. Uh, he has a great fight versus Ikari, and then Lady Bullseye jumps in. Um, there's a great ending here. Like you, you are tr- kind of wondering. What was Daredevil doing? And uh, it's pretty, it's it's dark, but uh, at the same time not dark because there's a little bit of ambiguity there as to, you know, what what his decision was and what he did. Um, and I love that like, kind of like that not last page, but getting there where there's that moment of when Foggy actually asked Matt, you know, did you really try to save Bullseye from going blind? And then there's just this moment of just silence. And then Daredevil saying, I did what was right. And Foggy saying, of course you did. So I just thought it was really interesting. And uh, yeah, and then the last page is seeing... Now, I'm going to... This is a weird nitpick. But I mean, when he puts together his um, his, his his billy clubs together to make a, a cane, uh, they are not a giant... Um, oh, what's it called? Uh, when you do... Not a long jump. Shit, I can't even think of it. You know, well, someone knows. Whoever's listening, you think I'm an idiot, but when you have the uh, pole vault, man, I'm an idiot. Uh, He basically is pole vaulting at the very end, and I don't know where he... Apparently, his thing is long enough to put together and make it a pole pole to do pole vaulting on. But this is a really good issue, really solid all the way through. Uh, it really kept my interest. Uh, Chris Samney is a brilliant art- artist and a great storyteller. This was uh, beyond entertaining. This was f- perfect. Um, hence the ten. Uh, I just I read it and I was like, I want to read that again. Um, when it eventually comes out in trade, I will happily shove this in other people's faces and say, you have to read what like probably at that point five volumes of uh, Mark Wade's work. It's fantastic. It uh, really feels like you earn everything that he does. Uh, everything comes back home to roost. He's able to do a Daredevil story that 
uh, has moments of darkness, but doesn't feel so unrelenting, unrelenting in its darkness as uh, Edward Baker and Brian Michael Bendis' uh, runs ended up feeling at one at some points. Uh, so this was just absolutely perfect. Uh, next up is FF number eight. This is another book that I discussed with AJ. He liked it more than I did. We had a bit of a, a more involved conversation about it because I have been a little on the, you know, I've, I've poo-pooed this book more often than I've uh, heralded it and, and really enjoyed it. Uh, I did give it a 7 out of 10, though. It wasn't a bad read. Uh, it just wasn't quite an 8 for me. Um, it's very quirky, but I do like part of the quirk. The artwork uh, was quite quirky, quirky here as well uh, by Mike Alred. Uh, Matt Fraction wrote this issue. One thing that I didn't care much for was Alex Power being in Latveria and having a conversation with uh, with uh, Doom, whereas uh, AJ really liked it, especially the there's a part where uh, he calls him an impudent whelp and he like, cracks him in the face. Uh, he seemed to really enjoy that um, a lot, as well as the, the two rings that get slammed together to create the uh, Miss Thing costume, which is kind of a fun little thing. Uh, I did like how the Inhumans were illustrated here. Uh, again, very Jack Kirby-ish. Um, and I'm enjoying... There's more Jack Kirby influence in Mike Alred's artwork here than I think I've ever seen elsewhere uh, in any other book he's ever done. Like This book is, is him saying, I love you, Jack Kirby. This is what Jack Kirby would do if he was around right now and illustrating for um, Matt Fraction. Uh, I did like having the Future Foundation. There's this weird part, and I discussed this uh, with AJ originally where uh, She-Hulk is wearing a, a costume that looks like a one piece uh, you see her sitting down and there's there's no gap between the costume it looks like it goes right to the underwear so it's like a one piece jumpsuit almost like a wrestler's jumpsuit and then she gets up and suddenly it's not she's wearing not a, like not boot it's basically she's wearing like a thong or she's wearing underwear and then she's wearing this top piece, but there's there it's not connected. It's not it's not a jumpsuit. It's not a swimsuit. Suddenly she's just wearing this weird two piece, and I just found it really awkward because there was no reason to believe that that's what it looked like. And then suddenly it was. Uh, you have Dragon Man continues to be one of my favorite characters because he's just so great. Um, I did like to hear also seeing Kid Immortus. That was an interesting touch because he obviously still looks like Iron Lad, so he hasn't become Kang yet. I'm interested to see what's going on with that character. So there are elements that I'm interested in, but overall it's not quite my cup of tea. Uh, it's, it's still entertaining. It's just, again, I'm not as entertained as I want to be. Uh, I gave it an, a 7 out of 10. Uh, next up is Flash number 21. This is another 7 out of 10 book. It's like 3.5, 3.5. Actually, sorry. It's more of a four art and three story. Uh, I did like this issue a little bit more than some in the past. I liked having Barry and Bart actually, uh, you know, going up against one another. Um, I still miss the pre-New 52 versions of the characters where they had an actual relationship. But here you have Barry trying to find out more about Bart. And uh, he does get to see a bit of his, his past briefly, or like the future really. Uh, when they briefly touch. There's a little bit more in the reverse flash, but we're not really seeing who he really is yet. But the next issue promises to be a showdown between the two. Um, but I think for a lot of people, this issue is notable and worth picking up just to see Flash versus Kid Flash. Uh, on that merit alone, it was entertaining. Uh, it's kind of like how I enjoyed the uh, the Vibe issue, where it's Vibe versus Kid Flash. Uh, 
it's weird that we're seeing elements of his of who he really is kind of being doled out in books that aren't his main book, which is Teen Titans, but uh, at least it's being addressed somewhere, and I did enjoy it. So that was Flash 21. I gave it a 7. Uh, sorry, I guess I should do the creative team on it before I move onwards. Uh, the creative team, it's written by Francis Manipal and Brian Bucciolato, and then artwork is by the same team. Uh, next up, and yes, there are a lot of books this week. I am I haven't even cracked the halfway mark. And I think we're already, what, how long are we in? About 35 minutes. So I'm going to have to speed this up a little because I need to get to bed. I'm, I'm exhausted. Uh, Gambit number 14 gave it a 4.5 out of 10. Um, it's not very good. The artwork's not very strong. The writing, I guess, is the best part of the issue, which isn't saying much. Um, uh, the artwork is just bad. Uh, let me see. It's written by James Asmus. Artwork. Artwork by Koi Pham, which really is really what surprised me because Koi Pham is better than this. Like this is, uh, there's not a lot of detail. Uh, it's very sketchy. It feels very rushed. Koi Pham is a really good artist. Sometimes, just not here. I found the story very. Uh, I didn't understand what the hell was happening half the time. But to be honest, I didn't care. Uh, it wasn't very good. Uh, and by the time it was over, I was glad it was. The only good parts were in it were seeing Pete Wisdom again and, and reminding me of how much better Captain Britain and MI-13 was than anything else with Pete Wisdom since. Uh, so as I said, this was a, a four and a half. Uh, now we have Guardians of the Galaxy number four. Again, this is a book that I discussed with AJ, and I think he gave it around a seven or so. I think he, he said it was kind of it was, it was kind of dumb, but also kind of fun. Or maybe I'm thinking of another book actually we discussed. Um, although he did say that this it felt like an issue that didn't need to happen, so maybe he did give it a five. Uh, again, AJ, help me out on the boards, please. Um, Sarah Pacelli joins the Guardians of the Galaxy book officially as the new penciler. Um, this is not her best work. She's a fantastic, brilliant artist uh, who really knows how to lay out a scene and do some action sequences and also do the quieter character moments. However, if this was your first exposure to her artwork, you will not know that at all, because this is not really her best stuff at all. I don't know what it was. It kind of reminded me of when Ryan Stegman went from being on Scarlet Spider to Fantastic Four, and suddenly his artwork went from being like a 9 to like a 5. It just lost something. Um, we have a lot of pointless stuff happening here. We have Bar Fight. You do have a cool, cool uh, well-choreographed sequence of... Uh, a bounty hunter going up against uh, Gamora, which is cool. But Gamora, I mean, she she's I, she's more badass than Venice usually lets her be. Uh, she sleeps with Tony Stark here, and I and I made actually a lot of mention of this on the episode. Of, not sorry, not sorry, not the episode. The segment I originally had recorded with AJ, I talked about how first of all Tony Stark beds Gamora, and I guess they're trying to do a little bit of a. A flip on it where she's disappointed in him and she's she's more like kind of the man in this in this, this kind of relationship uh and i was saying how i didn't really like that they hooked up and also it reminded me of like you know richard Ryder is was kind of the love of gamora's life in some ways that she like they originally just hooked up in the heat of battle but they actually end up forging quite an interesting relationship and rapport between the two and it was interesting that richard Ryder is apparently a better lay than Tony Stark, at least as far as Gamora is concerned. Uh, and also, I've, I've made, I'll make the prerequisite joke again. It's funny that his name is basically Dick Ryder. Um, that's an easy one, but I, I mentioned it on the segment that we didn't get to use, so I figured why not go back to the well. Um, 
Next, and there's the artwork again on Tony Stark. It doesn't even look like Tony. Um, like he should have more of a beard. It sh- he should look a little older. Uh, he's very nondescript here, which is not Tony. I mean, th- there's a earlier part of the issue where I honestly wasn't sure who was hanging out with them. I was like, oh yeah, it's Tony because they mentioned him by name. Otherwise, I would not have known that. Uh, the weird, creepy cyber stalking phone call with Pepper didn't really work for me either. Um, apparently, you know, the Rocket Raccoon's cell phone is the best thing in the world, and uh, Tony Stark is like a five-year-old. He's like, I don't understand how this works. Um, and then he's able, to, he's able to call home and see a visual of it, even though there's no cameras taking a picture. So, you know, what the fuck? I mean, try to keep some internal consistency in terms of uh, the actual technology utilized. But no, nah, that's not important. And in the last page, AJ and I discussed this, that... Um, you know that he really liked the last page because you have this hand and then it moves and this fist and then it disappears however the entire time there's narration indicating there's other people in the room as they're slowly walking away now i had said that you know it felt like it should have uh turned into a narrative box and this we were kind of kind of uh, comic nerding it out because when you use actual voice box it seems like they are still in the room in some way so it it kind of makes the guardians look stupid that this guy gets up and walks away, yet they're in the room. Whereas, again, if they had put it as a narration box or one of those boxes where you can tell it's not, so they're not in the scene anymore, uh, that they are somewhere else, that would have at least made sense because they have you know, left the scene and now this guy wakes up and he's he's still alive. Um, but yeah, I guess they didn't really care about doing that. Uh, and Bendis loves his talky talk. Uh, so I gave the uh, I gave Guardians of the Galaxy four or five. Um, then we have Hawkeye number 11, which I absolutely adored. Uh, I think most people did. I gave it a 10 out of 10. Um, it is a masterpiece in both writing, well, about stripped down writing and, uh, really allowing the artist to really, uh, take center stage and, uh, kick, you know, really kick my ass in terms of like, this is how good a comic book can be visually, uh, in, in the hands of the right person. And David Aja is that person. And actually, one thing I just I hadn't even noticed until right now is that you have on the on the cover Hawkeye, and it says Fraction Aja Hollingsworth, and then below they have the Join the Revolution, which is the, kind of the Marvel Now um, banner, and then usually that's where you'd have the three names, but instead they put them above the Hawkeye logo because then where you normally have them instead says Rough Rough Rough, which is awesome. So this is the legendary issue where it's Lucky, aka Pizza Dog. Who is really the uh, the the center point character here, uh, which means that this is not a very accessible first issue. If you're jumping on Hawkeye, you should do it with the first two trades. The second trade's coming out later in the in July. Um, those are what you should read before you read this, because a lot of this trades on what you know if you've been a reader of the book. Uh, there is not a lot in actual narration or dialogue, because the dog can't understand what, much of what's being talked about. Um, so you kind of have to know what's been going on with the, with the tracksuit mafia, what happened with uh, Grills getting murdered uh, by that creepy guy with the face. Uh, there's a lot of stuff going on here, but again... Unless you understand these, what's been going on, it won't mean as much to you. Um, I love that uh, that Lucky uh, hooks up with the character. Uh, sorry, not a character, another dog here. Uh, the ending, I'm not really sure what it means. Because it looks like Kate takes off on her own. And she's taking the dog with her to California. Um, but I did. Uh, there's a lot of really nice narrative touches. I mean, there's not a lot I can say 
that's going to be able to do any of this issue justice because you actually have to read it because there's so much played with uh, in terms of symbols um kind of weird kind of layouts and how the dog is operating uh you have to kind of see it to believe it and me trying to describe it unfortunately will just never do it justice um so i gave it a 10 out of 10 i absolutely adored it uh next up is justice league number 21 now this isn't really justice league this is more uh the last installment of the uh shazam black adam story so you have to have been reading this since that backup really started to really enjoy it uh in, ter- in terms of getting it all in there um i haven't really been reading the backups or i didn't read all of them I'm probably going to buy the hardcover because, uh, of course, DC puts everything on the hardcover first, which is basically his origin in the New Fifty Two. It's kind of more or less a standalone story, so I think I'm I am very picky with the uh, hardcovers. I end up deciding to buy. Uh, like I refuse at this point to get the all new X Men Avengers hardcovers, even though I love those books, because I just would rather have them in trade, and I like having ongoing series in trades. Plus, I've seen a really horrifying shot of uh, all new X Men, and there's this double page spread of Jean Grey in the center, and there's such gutter loss that it's it's atrocious. It's got to be better in the trade because there's so much lost in the way that they're doing the binding on certain hardcovers now, especially that they've they're they're doing the bindings different and they're doing the covers different as well because there's no longer a dust jacket. Anyway, that's a whole other thing. But I I like getting mini series and one shots. Uh, Kind of stories in in hardcover as opposed to you know a, a, uh, an ongoing series or like I'm just looking at my shelf right now. I mean I've got a lot of omnibuses and I love omnibuses because they collect full story ideas or a full run of a certain comic. Uh, I have a lot of Marvel pre, uh, premiere classics. Again, those generally are, are set storylines or seminal storylines in a lot of cases. So, but I I don't normally buy a regular series book. Uh, if I can help it in hardcover, I think one of the few exceptions that I might have to this would be the uh, full Gotham Central uh, run from DC Comics. But that was originally because I had the original trades, loved them, and then the hardcovers were going to include the entire series because certain issues never made it into the into the trades because the writers had said like, can you not put them in there? It's not our best work, and we'd like to comprise the great the best of this series. So with the hardcover, they actually restored it, and it was the entire series, and finally on glossy paper. Now, obviously, eventually, they ended up making the new deluxe versions of these trades, uh, this way, these hardcovers, into trades. So I don't need it. Needed. I didn't need to have bought it in trade, but I didn't know that was going to happen. So that's one of the exceptions to the rule. Anyways, back to Justice League. So this was a Shazam Black Adam throwdown. It's 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 entertaining. It's not the best read I've ever read. Uh, I read some reviews that I think were a lot more courteous to it than I was. Um, I'm going to give it about a six. Uh, kind of a three and three deal in terms of the breakdown and story and art. Uh, I just, I don't know. I felt it went on a little long. Uh, maybe that's because I was used to the back uh, it being a backup before and it being a lot shorter. Um, the whole segment with Shazam basically creating the Marvel family and giving all his friends like abilities and they're all... Uh, briefly enchanted with uh, with his own powers and it weakening him a little. And the more he needs to kind of draw upon his own well powers, he's uh, depowering the re- uh, the rest of his like quote unquote family. Uh, it was interesting. Again, it just felt overly long. I think this will read much better in a collected format as opposed to having been slowly doled out over the course of a certain amount of months. Um, yeah, it's not a bad read. It's just I don't know. I 
something about it. I think I would enjoy it a lot more if I read it as the concluding chapter in a hardcover collection, as opposed to, again, getting backup, 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 and then you get the full issue. It also didn't feel like a real Justice edition. That bugged me, too, is that I would rather have gotten it as a series of backups concluding the series as opposed to taking over the, the main book, because I was more interested in reading about the Justice League, and this wasn't a Justice League issue, it was a Shazam issue, which, to be honest, was not something I had asked for, or nearly really wanted at this point. I liked getting it more as a backup, so that's why I gave it a 6. Uh, next up is Justice League of America number 5. This is another 6 out of 10. Uh, last issue had the big, you know, reveal of uh, Catwoman quote-unquote dying, um, in fact, she didn't die, but instead, um, it was Martian Manhunter all along, and then you have a backup that explains how he was able to get there. Uh, it's basically a very long fight sequence. I don't think it was the best choreographed fight sequence. I think at times it was a little dull. Um, it, it just kind of went all over the place. Uh, it could have been, and then at the end, they're like, we're disbanding the JLA, and it's like, oh, but we're not. And you have uh, the creation of Dr. Light. With that part's interesting. I just wish there was more about it. I don't like Brett Booth that much as an artist, so that was a, a detriment to this issue. Uh, Jeff Johns, I don't, I just don't think this is the best book it could be. Uh, so that's why I gave it a six. Uh, and a lot of it's just an extended set fight sequence anyway. Uh, next up is Larfleys number one, which I talked about with AJ. Uh, I gave it a two out of ten. It's a really bad book. Don't bother. It's a waste of time. Um, it's basically a recap of his entire origin, but in the most annoying way possible. Um, as you'll see on the, the kind of the opening credit page, it says, you know, uh, it's called the extremely large dog and the edge of forever. And then it says they tried to force them into retirement, but Keith Giffen plots and breakdowns and jam Demetrius script are together again. And then there's a little uh, note, and it says at the bottom, Really, how much harm can they possibly do in a comic book called Larflees? Uh, joined by a Scott Collins artist. Um, there's a lot they could do to hurt a book called Larflees. First of all, uh, Larf, this book is terrible. Uh, the artwork is not good by Scott Collins. Um, you have a little bit of it being a, an unreliable narrator. This is something I did discuss with AJ, because he'd said at the end of the story, um, he's got this weird butler dude that Larflees has hanging out with him. And he asked him, of this story, how much of it was true? And then, I forget exactly how much, but Larflees basically says, like, oh, you know, some of it is. Um, which just felt like a, a real kind of, uh, you know, fuck you to the reader. But one thing I had pointed out was, well, at the same time, we do see throughout the story that when he mentions something, we'll see images that show that it's the opposite of what he's saying. So maybe that's basically what they meant. And that, in fact, uh, that is that is, that's what they were going for in terms of what he's saying is not what is real. Um, I just didn't care for this. It was really it felt really long. It felt like it could have been done in a couple pages. It didn't feel like a story I want to read. The artwork was really bad. Uh, half the time it was just extremely inconsistent. Scott Collins is a better artist than this. Hell, this entire creative team is better than this. Um, it just, it was not enjoyable at all. It was very laborious to read. Uh, this is a creative team that has done amazing things in the past, like JLI. And this was just, I couldn't wait for it to be over. Why did they even bother? Um, it was, and the interactions between Larflees and his butler were horrible. Um, this, I think I'm almost being charitable at giving it a 2 out of 10. This was just awful. Um, yeah, not worth reading at all.
Uh, next up is Nova number five. This is a pretty sweet book. I uh, give it a seven out of ten because uh, I think the artwork is more of a four and the story is a three. Because uh, it looks gorgeous. Ed McGinnis doesn't know how to do bad artwork. Um, but uh, Jeff Loeb, the script could have been a lot stronger. It was just very simplistic. You have him fighting, I forget even the name of the character now, but Otitis, th- this weird character that used to know the dad of uh, of Nova. Nova using the ultimate nullifier briefly. Opening up. That was kind of cool, but other than that, it was just felt very overly long, uh, very simplistic, and uh, it looks like you know Sam's dad is still out there, and we see a little bit more about um, you know, what happened when Sam was first born, and I don't know how, it'd be interesting to see what happens when and if Sam eventually comes face-to-face with his father, and I guess now we'll get the jump to a point after AVX, uh, because AVX has now already happened, and that was his first major appearance on the scene in terms of dealing with Marvel characters, as opposed to just being on Earth for a little bit. Um, I'm hoping that there is at least some reference given to AVX and his, his actions where, uh, therein, but I'm not that hopeful about it. Uh, it's a relatively simple issue to read. It's kind of quick, but the artwork's fantastic. Uh, as I said, 4 out of 5 for artwork, but the story just couldn't quite hold it up. So overall, I gave it a 7. Uh, next is Red Lantern number 21. Now, this is a book that AJ and I had had a, a long discussion about because he has hated, for the most part, what's happened to the Red Lanterns throughout the run of the book. Um, and whereas I hadn't read all of it, so I, the parts I'd read, I kind of liked it, but I was missing out on some of the more egregious things that had been done to the characters. Um, this issue, I didn't like it. I gave it a five. I think he gave it a seven or an eight. Uh, Charles Soule on, uh, sorry, uh, was on scripting and Alessandro Vitti on artwork. I do like Alessandro Vitti. This isn't his best work, but it's fairly good. I just, I found, I would almost give a four to artwork and like a one for story. Like I just, I didn't care the whole, you know, Hal being the new leader, I don't, I'm not really a fan of how that's playing out. Him and Guy having their little interactions, I didn't really like that either. Uh, Guy Gardner showing up and saying, well, I'm going to be a, a Red Lantern. Well, obviously, um, you know, uh, Atrocitus is going to be like, well, you know, I don't trust you at all. I'm going to call bullshit on that. And then they have a fight, and I'm okay with them having a fight. However, throughout the entire fight, we see the check on the power levels for Guy Gardner's ring, and it keeps going down because he's on proximity to the Red Lantern, and I guess he's on whatever, I forget what even the name of this planet is. I think it's Yosma, but I'm not sure. Anyways, and he bests uh, uh, Atrocitus, which is stupid. I hate that he's able to do that, because he's a human being. I mean, Atrocitus has fought, I guess I guess he's gone through the ringer, and he's not quite the badass he used to be, but he's still worth more than just being beaten by Guy Gardner with a failing power ring. So a human can beat up this guy who's taken on Guardians, and I don't care how damaged he's been, it's still stupid. The only good part is that we see Dexter running away with him, that kind of was cool, especially seeing the ring on the on the, on his tail, which I thought was adorable. But I'm not looking forward to reading more, more of this and seeing Guy Gardner as the as the leader. The whole point of Guy Gardner going to the Red Lanterns in the first place was basically acting as a spy for Hal Jordan uh, to, on, to monitor their activities. Not to lead the fucking team. And so isn't the book over then? Because like, where's it going to go from here? He could just make sure that they never come up to, against the Green Lanterns and they can do their own thing. So what was the point of any of this? I mean, I think... I mean, AJ enjoyed it, and I'm glad someone did, and I'm hoping others do too. I just personally didn't really enjoy it. I was frustrated and pissed off about Guy Gardner being able to best Atrocitus. Uh, it's kind of like when um, Arkilla was 
kind of neutralized by by Mongol. I mean, he had his tongue ripped out, and that was kind of taking this badass character. And he was still badass, but he he lost a little bit. But he also lost it to Mongol, a guy who can go toe to toe with Superman. Fine. Guy Gardner, he's a human being with a failing power ring. He wasn't even at full strength. He wasn't even. It wasn't like he was at 200 percent uh, strength, and he was bolstered by you know a blue lantern in the vicinity. He had a failing power ring because of where he was and who he was fighting, and the proximity to the Red Lanterns, etc. And yet he was able to beat Atrocitus, the leader of the Red Lanterns. No, I I cannot accept that. Uh, I get, I'm giving it a five again, one for story, four for artwork. No, thank you. Uh, next up is Scarlet Spider number 18. I enjoyed this as a romp. I think AJ enjoyed it as well. I give it a 7. It's fun. Uh, even though it's in the middle of a story, you can understand it pretty clearly, what's happening. Um, great artwork. I really dug the art. This book has been a little bit up and down when it came to artwork, but, uh, this issue really, by Barberi, he really does a great job, and the colors look fantastic, and really lighting up the, uh, the, Sp- the Scarlet Spider costume. Uh, him kind of teaming up with the X-Men was kind of fun as well. Uh, yeah, this was a bit of a romp. It wasn't an 8. Um, it was a little bit be- not quite there. I think it would be a 4 for art, 3 for story, or maybe 3.5 each. I'm not quite sure. It w- wasn't bad. It was enjoyable. But it wasn't quite an 8. It just, just missed the mark. Uh, then next up is, let's see, uh, Secret Avengers number 5. Now, I absolutely adored this book. I gave it a 9. Uh, extremely smart. I'm really enjoying what Nick Spencer is doing with this. It's basically S.H.I.E.L.D. Let's not call it Secret Avengers because that's a disservice to the name. Uh, Luke Ross and artwork. It's fantastic stuff. By the end, we're not even really sure what's happened. But a lot of shit goes down here. There's a mission. It goes bad. Uh, Hawkeye's really like not liking that what he's part of and hates that he even signed up for this because he didn't sign up to kill. Black Widow's kind of saying like, you know, whatever, if you do kill, you're not going to remember it anyway. Uh, and then you have flashbacks to the mission as Phil Coulson is, is busy uh, interviewing Black Widow, Hawkeye, and uh, Nick Fury on what happened during the mission. Um, and then you, you slowly see it, uh, you know, play out and you see an assassination take place of the... Uh, the scientist supreme at, at aim you see that daisy johnson is basically being suspended as uh the director of shield and uh, hills being created uh, installed as the director uh, in her uh in her stead and then you see that you know apparently what the hell actually went down because the actual scientist supreme is still alive so what really went down uh in the last issue so i really like this this was really well done I'm loving this book. Um, I'm giving it a, a nine. Uh, fantastic artwork, fast-paced story. If you're not reading it, you're really doing yourself a disservice. I wasn't so sure about this book when it started, but it's been fantastic. Uh, really entertaining. Never quite what you think. Uh, it's a great Shield book. That's. I mean, it's not a, really an Avengers book. There's some Avengers who obviously show up and and do some of the missions, like Hawkeye and Black Widow. But this is about Shield, and this is about Black Ops in. This you know in the 21st century with superpowers and and brainwashing etc. And I really liked it. Uh, I I gave it a nine. Uh, next up is Talon number nine. Um, this was okay. I I, I I let me see what did I actually uh, give this as a rating? It was pretty entertaining. I gave it a seven and a half. Um, not quite an eight. I'm not really sure where it was that it, it faltered, but it was somewhere. Uh, it's interesting too. The cover has Black Widow and Black Canary, 
sorry, Black Widow, Batgirl and Black Canary. However, the Birds of Prey are barely in this. Uh, but more it's about Strix, who is a Birds of Prey character. Uh, you have Talon figuring out a way to make it look like he's killed her, and so he can hopefully uh, free uh, the two girls in his life. However, it doesn't work. Now he's being sent to Santa Prisca to uh, find Sebastian Clark and also go up against Bane. Um, really interested to see where they go with this, and also glad that the, the girls are probably going to be able to escape in some way. Um, the last page, a little... A little kind of boring and played out, but uh, overall an entertaining read, although not quite an eight. So it was a, a seven and a half. Let's see, as we're approaching the end here, and I'm losing my voice, so I apologize. Next time, memo to self, make sure I have water. Um, so we've got one, two, three, four, five books left. Uh, that includes Teen Titans number 21. I gave this a five. I just didn't care much for it. Um, it just kept going. It was a, it's a long fight sequence. I like artwork by Eddie Barrows, but something about it wasn't quite right. Um, uh, something about like the, the, like if you look at that first page, there's something there. Um, uh, maybe it's in the inks by Marino, Jesus Marino. Uh, maybe something with the hair on like Red Robin. It just didn't quite work for me. Um, you have again, more versus Trigon's kids and Raven. And I just, I, found myself really struggling to to get through it and even care so that's why i'm going to only give it a five there's not a lot that actually happens in terms of forward momentum uh next up is uncanny x-force number seven uh i gave this a four out of ten i didn't like it at all i didn't find a story interesting with uh dealing with the the weird phantom x now there's three of them uh the artwork was pretty atrocious as well the cover was interesting uh but the artwork was not good at all um, just let's see who actually worked on this book. Uh, yeah, Adrian Alfona and Dalibor Talagic on art, and Sam Humphrey's writing it. Uh, I'm surprised because Alfona is a fantastic artist, and yet I could you'd be I'd be hard pressed to ever t- even be able to pick out where that artwork was here. Uh, there's this weird like sex club, I guess, or nightclub where people dress up as like mutants and X Men and. I just I could not wait for this book to be over more so than Teen Titans twenty one. Uh, it wasn't good. I don't know where what what the hell the point of this was. After where this book could be and had kind of been shading towards in the last little while, this was just a giant you know middle finger. I didn't like it at all. I gave it a four. Uh, next up is Uncanny X Men number seven. Didn't like this either. I gave this a six. Uh, it had some merit because it was kind of interesting to have uh, Magic having trying to deal with the fact that her powers are broken and her going to Stephen Strange for assistance, but not Stephen Strange as we know, but Stephen Strange in the past before he becomes an Avenger, etc. Um, with that part's kind of interesting about Bendis, but for the most part, this just felt very self uh, overindulgent on telling a magic story, and I'm never a huge fan of magic stories, especially here. The artwork for Fraser Irving, I wasn't really digging it either. Uh, I just want them to tell a regular kind of X-Men story, and I felt like he wanted to do this weird Dormammu magic story, and I just... Uh, I guess was the whole point to show us that magic's powers are fucked up too, because I feel like we could have done it more simply and easily than the way he ended up going with it. Uh, I just found this really long and tedious. So that's why I gave it a six, and I'm, uh, you know what? I'm, I'm gonna change that. I'm gonna give it a five. It just it wasn't quite. Maybe two and a half each, and our work and story. So I'll give it a five overall. 
Uh, then we got Wolverine and the X-Men 32. Um, I'm going to downgrade my review there as well. I was going to give it a 6, but I just realized it can't possibly get a 6 because it doesn't deserve it at all. Um, I did not enjoy this book. It was very... I don't know what Jason Aaron's doing. Part of this was kind of interesting, but a lot of it just just wasn't. Uh, Bradshaw is not my favorite artist. Sometimes he's really good and sometimes he's not. You have uh, them attacking the Hellfire Club here, trying to find out more about what the hell's going on and where Kate is. Uh, they can't find them. You have Wolverine trying to finally come up with the ways that he can, uh, you know, find, you know, what uh, those, sorry, where he can find the Hellfire Academy, which is a weird plan with the Bamps, who we still don't really know much of or about. Um, I couldn't. I just didn't enjoy this. Uh, I'll give it a five because it's not like it's not Batman, Superman. It's not Larflees, but it's on its way down there. So I, that's why I only gave it a five. And then finally, X Men number two. Um, now AJ and I had discussed this. I think he gave it like a maybe five or six, or maybe it was higher. I don't remember. I gave it a nine. I really dug this. I really like what Brian Wood's doing. I like the artwork by Olivier Coipel. One thing we had mentioned when we had discussed it, uh, AJ and I, though, is that uh, there's a lot of kind of cooks in the kitchen here in terms of there's three inkers. There's Mark Morales, Scott Hanna, and Olivier Coipel doing himself. And then you have three colorists, Laura Martin, Matt Mella, and uh, Christina Strain. That being said, there's a remarkable amount of consistency throughout this book considering that there is combined, uh, you know, three anchors, three colorists. It's actually pretty strong. I loved how Rogue is written here. I like that uh, it was kind of a fast, loose read, but really kind of fun and interesting. There's a lot in terms of uh, potential plot ideas uh, with Sublime, etc. Uh, again, Rogue felt like she walked out of the uh, 90s animated series. Uh, them being a female team feels incidental, not like, this is the female team. It just happens to be this is who was around at the time. This is who they needed in terms of the powers, etc. There are some males who show up in the book, but that's not what it's more important about. So that's not what the book is really focusing on. Uh, I love the last page, and obviously they're going to survive, but how is that going to work out? Uh, I dug this quite a lot. I really enjoyed it. Uh, I was not sure how I'd feel about it, and it looks like the next issue, the third issue, is going to end the arc, which I like as well. I like, you know, we're used to five, six-issue arcs these days. I am always thrown off, but in the best way possible, I really find myself enjoying two or three issue arcs, just because they're against the norm these days, and also when you eventually get it in trade paperback, you'll have more stories to read, because a lot of the times, uh, they do feel a little decompressed, so you feel like, you know, this story could have been done in less issues, and it wouldn't have really sacrificed much of the story. Uh, so I'd like that this is only a three issue arc, and it's really well done, uh, so I gave that a 9 out of 10. There's a ton of books I didn't get a chance to talk about this week, and that's, I mean, I've already gone through, I think, 25 or 26 books, and the books I didn't talk about, there's still at least, I think, 12 or 13 of them, and they include Adventures of Superman number 2, sorry, my my, my voice is finally going super hoarse, um, All-Star Western 21, Arrow number 8, Catwoman 21, Deadpool number 12, Fury Max number 13, actually, I take that back, I actually did read that, um, I had read somewhere that it was a really, really strong book, and I had never read any of the Fury Max books, so this is the last issue of the series. I did just read it. Um, I actually really liked it. I gave it an 8 out of 10. Um, at times, it's a little bit more adult than it needs to be. I I didn't understand as much, maybe because I haven't been reading the last 12 issues, so that's totally on me as a new reader. 
Um, I actually really dug this though. Uh, it's very dark, depressing. It doesn't end on a on a great note, but it ends on a on a valid note. Um, war takes its toll, and you know the things that one does in the course of fighting multiple wars, especially over a lifetime like Nick Fury. It's quite a lot, and it really damages you. And I won't say much more than that, but uh, I found it was... I read in an article, I can't remember where, but someone was talking about Fury Max, and they were saying, you know, it was a really good series, and that the last issue was devastating. And I, I don't know if I... I can't quite say that yet, because I haven't read the rest of the series, so I don't know where these characters were kind of on their way, but um, I, I found it quite, quite good. Uh, it was very strong... I guess this George character who's been, I guess, fighting for his life in terms of, because he's just really old, he finally passes away here. Um, I dug this quite a lot. Uh, it's written by Garth Ennis with artwork by... Uh, let me just double check who the art is by. Uh, okay, the artwork is by Parlov. Um, it, the artwork is not the strongest of times, uh, but it, you know what? It has its own charm. It has its own sensibility. It's not something I'd want in many other books. Because it's an out-of-continuity book, because it's a Max book, um, because it has a particular version of, of Fury that it's telling a story of, I'm more okay with it to do, to be a little looser and rougher than I would want in most other books. Um, so, I, I mean, I enjoy it, and I think I will give it an 8 out of 10. Uh, continuing on, books I didn't read, though. Uh, Green Team, Teen Trillionaires, number 3. He-Man and the Masters of the Universe, number 3. Uh, Injustice Gods Among Us number six, Journey into Mystery six fifty three, Justice League Dark twenty one, Lazarus number one, which I'm really excited about reading but just didn't get a chance to read yet. This is by Ed Brubaker and um, Michael Lark, who are a fantastic creative team together. Uh, speaking of, I mean they did Gotham Central together. They did some uh, a lot of great work together. Um, then you also I also didn't get a chance to read Superman twenty one, Ultimate Comics X Men twenty eight. Wolverine number five or Young Avengers number six, but I did get a lot of issues in, and this ended up being a much longer episode than I had originally anticipated. So, bonus for you guys. Um, some quick housekeeping notes: uh, the next episode is episode ninety-two. Originally, it was going to be the spotlight on Monsters University episode, which I was going to be doing with my wife Kelly Chapman. Um, just there's a lot of stuff going on these days. Obviously, I'm about to make a big move to a new house. Uh, we're having, we're expecting our first child, child in August. Um, so Kelly kind of looked at me and she's like, can we, like, I don't really know if I want to go to the movies tomorrow, tomorrow being Tuesday. Uh, as I said before in the, in episode uh, 90, it's cheap night. So we're going to go and watch Monsters University. She's like, you know, do you mind if we actually, uh, well, she didn't actually ask, but I said, you know, if you don't want to go, it's okay. Why don't we go next week? She's, and then she was like, okay, that'd be much better. And she's like, well, what about the podcast? I'm like, you're in luck. Tom Kerr is coming over to my house on July 2nd. We're going to do a Talking Heroclix episode. It'll actually work out well. It'll, that episode will go up a day or two after we actually record, which is always the way I prefer to do it with Talking Heroclix. I like those episodes to be as um, current and up-to-date as possible, which is good. So the next episode will now be a Talking Heroclix episode. That's episode 92. Uh, episode 94 will be the Spotlight on Monsters University episode. Uh, then we have episode 96 will be the spotlight on Green Lantern, uh, the Jeff Johns years part one, uh, or the entire episode. I'm actually not sure how long that podcast will go with, uh, with Paul Scores and I talking about Green Lantern, uh, basically the era of, uh, Jeff Johns being on the Green Lantern book 
and the various crossovers that he was instrumental in creating for the Green Lantern franchise. So it'll be interesting to see how that episode plays out. And then later, uh, at the end of July, uh, usually we put episodes up on uh, Wednesdays, but that particular Ju- on July 26th, we'll be putting up the spotlight on the Wolverine episode. So that'll go up a little bit later in the week, around the 26th uh, or 27th, depending on the time of night. And then, on the last episode of July, July 31st, should be episode 100. Not sure what we're going to do yet, but uh, that's exciting for me, just to celebrate 100 episodes, which is pretty crazy. Because I started this last August, and it was just kind of this fun hobby, and then it became something I was really invested in. And, uh, yeah, so it's almost episode 100. And then, early in August, I guess I'll have the actual one-year anniversary for the show, but... I'll just kind of fold a lot of that kind of sentiment into the 100th episode anyway. Anyways, and actually in another episode, uh, at some point in August, uh, I'm doing an inventory episode with Tom Kerr tomorrow, uh, which should be uh, top five kind of, um, what's the word, uh, guilty pleasure comics. Things that we're kind of embarrassed that we even enjoy at all, but we do anyway. Um, and, I, and I guess we finally summon the courage to be happy or... Not happy, but uh, secure enough to, to admit that we like these things, even though we really shouldn't. Anyways, thank you for joining me for this episode. I'm Adam Chapman, your host. You can always uh, drop us a line at comicshenanigans at gmail.com. You can uh, post uh, comments, questions, etc. in the HC Realms uh, uh, forum post that we usually put these episodes up under in the Heroclix AV Club. Um, so yeah, and I'm always welcoming your feedback and your interest, etc. So thanks again for joining me for episode 91. This was the comic reviews episode for July, t- sorry, June 26th, and I hope you will join us next time for episode 92, which will be talking hero clicks with Tom Kerr. Thanks and have a great night or day, depending on when you're reading this or listening to this, whatever. <laughs>